Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets." Now, we're just going to stop here for now, and we'll see how far we get after this. This next section of the Sermon on the Mount seems a little bit random if you look at where we were last week. You remember last week we looked at the fact that Jesus was teaching not to pronounce judgment and measuring what you judge will be judged to you, and then he warns about being wise and not casting your pearls before swine. And then all of a sudden he goes into and says, Ask and it will be given, seek you'll find, knock and the door shall be opened to you. But I actually think as I broke this down and studied on this, that there is a connection to what we studied last week. What will help us with this is Luke's account of this. All right, so go to Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for the friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, if we noticed in Luke's account, Jesus says, Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Here in Matthew's account, Jesus says, give good things to those who ask. Now, I think as you look at the context of both, one is the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 7. The other time in Luke chapter 11, you see Jesus is up on a mountain, He's pray, praying somewhere, and and the disciples come and ask him to teach him to pray. And he gives a quick recount of what he had said on the Sermon on the Mount, on the, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And then he tells this story, and then he goes into ask, seek, and, and knock. What I honestly think is that Jesus might have said it more than once. As you're about to see, there are some things that Jesus says a lot more than once. It's going to come out in our study tonight. So how does this teaching on God's willing heart to give and to meet needs tie into the context of what we studied last week on not being judgmental, but learning to make proper spiritual judgments. How do you think the two come together? Remember, like I told you, when in Luke's account, Jesus is praying, 
The disciples, and we've talked about this earlier, Jesus' disciples come and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, but we're afraid you're not gonna. But John taught his disciples. And then Jesus tells them about the heart of the Father and how he responds to those who boldly come, believing that he's not only able to meet the need, but willing. And then he says, ask and you will find, and it will be given to you, and all this kind of stuff. And he goes on and explains the heart of God. At the same time, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has talked about don't judge other people. And then he says, ask and seek and knock. Does anybody have any idea how the two could be connected? I'm asking you to see what you think. Close. She says, soften the heart of the people. Come on, there's going to be some wild speculation out there. <coughs> We're the city. We've been given the okay. light of the world. Got it. Okay. So our judgment on the world is they're lost and broken. Mm -hmm. We need to seek God's power through us in order to be able to minister his word to them. You're going to see that come out in our study a lot. That's a big part of it. But let's go even a little more shallow. All right? Because you went good and deep, which is good. What, you're, Glenn, you're good with shallow. Give it a shot. <laughs> Go ahead. The answer is uh, God wants you to talk to him daily, and you need to be talking to him daily and asking, and not every now and then. And the more you talk to him, the more you're going to walk with him, and you're going to get more out of it, and to do it daily. All right, you're real close. You are real close. That was very shallow. That was why, that's why I was, no, actually, that was really good. Listen closely to what I want you to hear. How about an authentic relationship with God? I'm sorry? Okay, yes, it's definitely an authentic relationship, but how's this connected with don't judge? Remember, and I want you to see this. When Even the bad, they're not judging. I mean, they, he's, they, the, the bad give to their kids. Right, okay. Very good. Very good, very good. God, you have to recognize you yourself are a sinner, so you can't judge other people because they sin differently. Very good. When we're truly understanding of God's love for us and His care and His provision for us, we're not going to judge others in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves or in order to try to earn points with God. When you really understand God's heart for you, when you really understand what He's done in sending His Son and how He's reconciled you to Him, and when the true love of God truly makes it to your heart, you won't see yourselves as better than others, like you were just sharing. You have a heart for them, like you were sharing, Eric. You'll want them to know the love of God because of this relationship that you have, that you want them to have. You won't be judging your brother in a way that makes you feel better about yourself, kind of like the Pharisee we looked at last week. He said, I'm glad I'm not like this guy next to me. When we really understand the heart of God, when we come to Him and believing that when we ask, we'll, re we'll receive, and we seek, we will find, and we knock, the door will be opened, and we understand His grace and His love for us, we will be so full of that, we won't feel a need to make ourselves feel better by pointing out how everybody else is bad around us. Do you understand what I want you to see? Let's let the scripture back this up, though. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Think of the context of what's been going on here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He said, therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those that don't know God, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you see the context? Jesus is saying, look, if you understand how much value you have to God, you won't feel a need to point out your brothers and sisters' faults in order to make yourself feel better before God. Folks, you need to understand the heart of God. Ask, seek, knock. He's for you. Go ahead. He, he, he can't wait to tell us how much he loves us. You're right. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I honestly believe that if you really understood how much God loved you, everything else felt would fall into place. Worry would go away. Fear would go away. Judgmental attitudes would go away. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verses 7 and following. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. Look at this verse. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God's love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All through this whole passage, he keeps saying, look, if you really understand the love of God, you're going to love your brother. If you really understand the love of God for you and you respond with an attitude that says he's for me, I'm going to ask and I will hear. I'm going to seek and I will find. I'm going to knock and the door will be open to me. When we really understand God's heart for us, it will manifest itself in a love for our brothers that won't be judgmental. And actually, even if we point out their faults, we'll be doing it in a way to build them up and to not tear them down, not to make ourselves look better before in our eyes before God. All the stuff we looked at last week, it actually goes together. It's not out of place. I love how God's Word does that. Go to Psalm 16. I think it's valuable for us to spend time meditating on the Word of God so the depth and the, the, the heart of why God wrote His Word would sink into our hearts, not just the surface. Psalm 16. 
Look at verses 1 through 11. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. In other words, I won't worship these false gods, David says. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In this passage is a prophecy about Jesus and how he wouldn't die and his body wouldn't decay. But in the midst of this psalm, David is writing about the fact that God is his portion. God is his protection. God is his supply. And because of that, I am at rest. I'm comfortable. Folks, I'm just going to tell you straight up because I'm speaking to myself just as much. When you worry, when you fear, it's because you really don't know the heart of God for you. When we really allow, by the way, that's going to be a daily process. You've got to daily put your flesh on the altar and renew your mind and let the truth of God's word kind of build you back up. And, and, but inwardly, outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly what's happening? We're being renewed daily. But what's God renewing? He's reminding us of his word, reminding us of his truth. And over and over, God keeps showing me over and over how important it is that we know the word of God because he's already shown us. How many times have we said to God, oh, but if you would just do this, I know you'll prove your love for me. Oh, God, if you would do this miracle or would you answer this prayer? And God says, you still don't understand. Doesn't the Bible actually say all of God's answers for us are yes in Jesus? Boy, it's time that we spend some time letting that truth sink into our hearts. We're of more value than we realize. When we truly know this love that God has for us, and this is what you were talking about, Eric. When we truly know this love that God has for us, we also will know that he loves others too. And we'll want them to know his love. We won't judge them. We will share God's love with them. It's interesting to me as I was doing some radio programs uh, this week. And I'm in the Gospel of Luke in my radio programs. And we get into Luke chapter 9, and there's two interesting little episodes right back to back. One was one in which uh, the disciples saw some people casting out demons in the name of Jesus, but they weren't one of us. They weren't following us. And they said, do you want us to, we told them to stop. And Jesus said, look, if they're not against you, they're for you. We have a tendency to judge others in the Christian faith who aren't doing it like we do it. That's when you get your eyes off of how, how you are and who you are in God. In the very next passage, they were going through a town of Samaria. And Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. But when, because the people in the town knew that he was going to Jerusalem, they wouldn't let him pass through. And James and John say, do you want us to call fire down on him? And Jesus says, no, no, relax. Leave the judgment to God. Again, that was the perfect microcosm of their attitudes. They were judgmental of their brothers who weren't doing it like they thought they should do it. They were judgmental of the world and wanting them to be judged when they totally didn't understand the love of God toward them and the mercy of God toward them. Oh, and on the way, if you keep reading, 
then they start to fight with each other on who's going to be the greatest. Folks, we all have a tendency to jockey for position with God. We've raised three kids. You've had more than one, you know. It doesn't matter how much you keep trying to explain to them your love for them. They'll always argue over which one you love the best. They'll also, if you point out, if we had two girls, which we did, we had two girls, we point out one, oh, that's a beautiful dress. The other one say, what about mine? We weren't saying that the other one's dress wasn't beautiful, but that's how they took it. But you know what? That's how we are with God. Somebody gets a promotion and we don't. Somebody's, we've been trying to have a baby and you can't and someone else gets pregnant or someone gets healed of cancer and our loved one doesn't. And we fall into this mindset of, what have I got to do to make him love me? Oh, we need to spend time on a daily basis allowing God's truth to sink into our heart because the world needs it. The world needs the truth of God's love for us to sink into our hearts. Let me show you what I mean. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, start in verse 14. I love this. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Some of your translations would say compels us. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Keep reading. We always stop at the end of a chapter, but don't. Paul didn't have a number six there when he wrote this. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What Paul's saying is this. He said, the love of Christ that has made it to our hearts is compelling us now to share with you this awesome message. That when Jesus was dying on the cross, God was paying for the sins of the world. He was not counting men's sins against them. The message of the gospel is not God's mad at you, but if you ask him to forgive you, he'll change his mind. The message of the gospel is God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son to die for the world. And at that moment, God was covering the sins of mankind. The only sin not covered by the death of Jesus is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or when the Holy Spirit calls you and you say no. The message of the gospel is God loves you. He's already forgiven you. He's already paid for your sins. You have to receive this gift now. We're his ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. He loves you. He wants you to know him. And if you don't go to heaven, it's because you chose not to. It's because God's already paid for it and done it all. You just got to receive it by faith. And it's that love that we understand now makes us share the gospel with you. Go to Romans chapter 5. 
Look at verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And because we understand we're in a right relationship with God, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to, the, by God to, the death, by the, sorry, to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you hear what he's saying? He said, we've been made right with God through, through Jesus Christ. We're at peace with God. And we're able to stand in a relationship where we know he's for us. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But we don't just rejoice in that. We can rejoice in our sufferings because our suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Because he already proved that he loved us through his son. And he's already reconciled us. So even if suffering comes, it doesn't change our attitude because the truth of God's love is made it to our hearts. Oh, and we also know that he died for us while we were his enemy while we were still sinners, and that understanding changes how we look at the world. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we no longer look at people according to the flesh? Oh, we used to look at Jesus according to the flesh, but we don't do that anymore. In other words, we don't see people as just human anymore. We see them as spiritual beings that are going to live forever, either with God or separated from God. We used to think Jesus was just a man. We don't do that anymore. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. If anyone is not in Christ, he's separated from this love of God that is being poured out. And we are his ambassadors. All we do is just tell people, God loves you. He's proven it. He sent his son to die for you. He's risen from the dead and he wants to give you eternal life if you'll just receive it. But you have to say yes and acknowledge your need of a savior and your fact that you're separated because of your sin. But don't think for a second that God doesn't love you. He loves you. Don't think for a second that God's mad at you. He's not mad at you. But if you reject this, well, don't receive the grace of God in vain. But Paul said there in chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't miss out. So folks, if we truly understand the heart of God for us, it will not make us judgmental. It'll make us loving. It'll make us have a heart to share with other people. I'm going to ask you this question this morning. I hope it's tipped off how long I plan to go. All right, but... <clears throat> Do you truly grasp the heart of God towards you? Now, don't answer too quickly. Do you truly grasp the heart of God towards you? I think it is. I, that's why I said don't be in a hurry to, to answer it. But are you wanting to know more? That's where our hearts should be. Don't think I understand it. I don't. Don't think someone that's walked with the Lord longer than me understands it. They don't. I actually think we're going to spend eternity experiencing and getting to know the love of God. To be honest with you, a lot of people think, well, I get to heaven, I'll understand everything. I don't think you will, because that'll make you God. 
And you can't be like God. He's always going to be beyond us. But I think for eternity, we're going to be learning more and more and more and more. Oh, and we won't have these fleshly bodies and sin and all the tears and things that pull at us to keep us from understanding it. But why wait till we get to heaven to understand it? Why not begin now? Well, how do we do this? Well, I'm going to show you tonight. First off, you really need to understand how God feels towards you. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 6. It says, And without faith it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who what? Who seek Him. He rewards those who seek Him. But without faith... It's impossible to please him. Now, before we go any further, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, actually. Folks, you say to me tonight, you want to know the love of God for you. You want to know it more. Ask, seek, knock. How do we ask and seek and knock? We go to this book. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I'm going to try to keep from preaching sermons that are coming up down the road and that God's been preparing in my heart. But let me just say to you, I have become, like I touched on a few weeks ago, even more and more convinced that God, the Father, even whenever he spoke that we have recorded in the word, only was quoting the Old Testament. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and the Father's glory shone and His voice boomed, He said, This is my beloved Son, my chosen one, with whom I pleased and my soul delights. If you go back and look at Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 and following, God says, This is my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. When God the Father boomed His voice on that mountain, all He was doing was quoting from His own word what he had already said. We know the story of Jesus and the Lazarus and the rich man, and, and he talks about how Lazarus died and was carried into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and went to Hades, and he sees Lazarus, and he says, hey, tell Lazarus to stick his finger in water and come and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame, and God says there's a chasm, a chasm between here and there. There ain't no going back and forth. So by the way, if you've been taught there's purgatory, don't fall for it. There's a chasm between the two, and there ain't no passing back and forth. And on top of that, then the rich man says, well, tell you what, send Lazarus to go back and warn my brothers. I've got brothers. Have them go warn them. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Oh, but no, Father Abraham, if someone were to go back from the dead, they'd believe. And then he says this, even if someone were to rise from the dead, they won't believe. If they don't believe the word, even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe. Folks, I'm just going to tell you. We're just as guilty as the rich man. We keep sitting around waiting for God to do a miracle so that we'll believe. He's already given you an amazing miracle in this book. Everything, look at Jesus. Jesus himself, when he rose from the dead on the, the two men on the road to Emmaus, all he did was remind them of what the scriptures had said. And then again, when he met them in the upper room that night, he reminded them about what was said in the scriptures. Folks, ask, seek, knock. This is where you ask. This is where you seek. 
This is where you knock. It's all here. Everything you need is here. It deals with every aspect of life. Well, go to Jeremiah chapter 29. A prophecy to the nation of Israel, but it does show us the heart of God. And doesn't the Bible say that all the promises for Israel are ours in Christ, in the church? Jeremiah 29, look at verses 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Did you catch that? I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Go to Luke chapter 6. We're on a little journey here to see the heart of God for us. In Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Again, see the context again. Don't feel like you have to build yourself up in order to be right, feel like you feel better before God by pointing your brother's sins out. Share with them what you would want done to you. And if you give, if you forgive, the way in which you measure it out, the way you pass it out, it's going to be given back to you. And God loves to show himself strong in that way. Go to Matthew 19. Look at verses 27 through 30. Matthew 19, verse 27, Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit also on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a pittance. Is that what it says? A hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. Don't miss that. God says, I'm paying, I'm paying attention. I'm keeping track. I know what you've given up in order to follow me. I know what you've sacrificed because you believe my word and you trust me. I know what I put you through for my purposes, for my glory, and for your growth. I know what all's happened. And if you just would trust me, even though it doesn't look like it makes sense at the time, one day you will be rewarded in a measure that will blow your mind. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has even come into the heart of man what God has in store for those who love Him. Now to Him who is able to do what? Immeasurably more than we ever could imagine, ask, or think. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Look at verses 1 through 16. This, one's been a, this one caused, caused people a little bit of a bellyache over the years. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning and to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go out into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us and who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. There it is again. Remember I told you earlier tonight that God does say some things over and over? This has been a passage that's bothered a lot of people. Because in our minds, this isn't fair. The guy that worked the heat of the day got paid the same amount as the guy that only worked one hour. And God's answer to him is, First off, let me ask you a quick question. Was I unfair to you in this fact that I didn't pay you what we agreed on? Well, yeah. Then your real problem is with my generosity. How many of you really even see God in that way? Remember, Peter was told how he was going to die. He sees John walking behind him. He says, hey, Lord, what about him? He says, what if I want him to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you have struggled over the years because you don't think God's been fair. You have compared your life to people around you. And you've thought to yourself, I have slaved. I have served. I have worked hard for God. Yet it doesn't seem to pay off in this life. How come other people seem to have it easier than me? How come I've wanted to get married and I can't? How come I've wanted this, but I couldn't? How come did you just fill in the blank? What you're really dealing with is the fact that you really don't understand the heart of God toward you. Why should God be fair? I'm just glad he's merciful. Yeah, you're gone. Exactly. Aren't you glad he's merciful is right. And here's the thing, folks. God gets to do things however he wants. This is his world. How many of you, show of hands, had a say whether or not you were even going to be born? Me neither. Yeah, isn't it interesting that we come into this universe which has been going for a few thousand years, would we not agree? And as soon as we're born, we want to be in charge. Oh, we start screaming as soon as we're born to tell our mom when she's supposed to feed us and when she's supposed to change our diaper. And we're determined whether or not we're sleepy or not, even though mom, as we get older, says, you need a nap. And we say, no, I don't. And we fight. And if we don't get our way, we were really good at throwing a hissy fit and falling on the floor like rubber. We, for some reason, come into this world thinking we're in charge. Or we should be. And as we laugh at little kids, have you not seen how you act now? Have you not seen how we act now? 
when we see Jesus being rebuked by Peter. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And the Bible says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And we think, oh, I would never do that. Oh, yeah, you do a lot. Have you ever been upset with God because he didn't do things the way you thought he should have? Then he didn't answer when you thought he should have answered? When he didn't, well, you rebuked him because he didn't do it the way you think he should. But don't miss the heart of this story. The heart of this story shows the heart of the workers who feel like they should be rewarded for how hard they worked. Did you catch that? And they totally missed the fact that God is generous. How about the thief on the cross? Exactly. <laughs> you want to talk about the mercy and the grace of God. Oh, how about the older son in the prodigal son story? All these years I've slaved for you, and you've never even given me a goat. Yet this son of yours who wasted his living with prostitutes come home and you throw a party and you kill the fattened calf. The father's response has been this. Um, son, you've never understood my heart for you. I'm always here with you and everything I have is yours. You've been trying to earn it. You've been still trying to get my approval by working hard. You need to just receive it. And folks, unfortunately, many of us have been taught that we can't do anything to get saved. But the moment we got saved, we were told that we have to work hard for Jesus now. And he says, you still don't get it. Oh, and by the way, you want to know who the people are that think they have to work hard for Jesus? Those are the ones who are judging their brothers and sisters in church. Those are the ones who really don't understand the love of God for them. Those are the ones that are okay if someone sits in their seat because it's no big deal. I'm good. There's plenty of seats. Those are the ones who don't get upset. The ones who really understand the heart of God for them are the ones that don't get upset when they didn't get picked for that position. They're okay if they don't get recognized for their years of service. They're okay because they didn't do it for man. They understand the heart of God for them. He's good. He's generous. I'll be paid one day. I'm fine. Has anybody noticed this first will be last and the last will be first coming up a lot in Jesus' teaching? By the way, listen closely. The first are those who seek to be first in doing so that they look out for themselves. I'll say that to you again. The first are those who seek to be first and in doing so, they look out for themselves. Those are the ones who are trying to be the most impressive. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit on your right? Who's going to sit in, uh, on your left in the kingdom? Those are the ones who, in their trying to earn God's approval, push and shove their brothers and sisters to get to be first in the line. What do you think about me? How do I look? I look better than them, don't I? I look better than those lost people, don't I? He paid the last first. The last... Listen closely. The last are the meek who do not think of themselves too highly, but they rely on God for all they need. They're not looking for man to meet their need. They so trust that God's for them and that he's generous. And if they just seek him, I think the scripture goes this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I'm going to step on a few toes and I apologize, but I need to say it. Some of you are mad at a pastor who let you down. 
Some of you walked away from the church for a period of time. Some of you have walked away from God a period of time. Some of you have actually been upset with an individual who disappointed you. Sounds like you took your eyes off of the Lord and put them on man. Excuse me, Jim. Wasn't that one of the uh, parables of a, a, a prodigal son? Even though he walked away, his father saw him from a long way. Oh, of course. The, the love of God's always there. God's love for you. Folks, you can't outrun God's love. There's nowhere you can go. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Folks, let me just say this to you. Some of you need to understand the love of God for you. Don't put your eyes on man. Go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, look at verses 7 through 11. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Embarrassing. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. By the way, is anybody caught, as much as Jesus is teaching here about a, an episode he saw at a banquet, he's hinting at something else. Has anybody else figured out what he's hinting at? The, the wedding of the Lamb. Folks, there's going to be a day when the people that we haven't even noticed are going to be told, come on up. And they're going to be rewarded in ways that you wouldn't understand. And those that we for years have looked at and thought, boy, those are really impressive people. I could never be as spiritual as them are going to be way in the back. Do you really believe your father's for you? What if you don't get the raise? Do you really believe your father's for you? So what if you're wronged in the lawsuit? Do you really believe your father's for you? Stop jockeying for position. Stop being upset because you weren't nominated to be deacon. Do you really believe God's for you? Stop being upset because they didn't appreciate all the hours you've put in. Do you really believe God's for you? Stop being upset because people don't recognize how much you've been suffering and no one's been there to help you. You don't understand the love of God, and because of that, you've been judging your brothers and your sisters. We can only live like this when we truly know in our hearts that God's for us and generous toward us, and that whenever we ask Him for what He wants for us, it will be given if it's what we need. If we, we're going to receive it, and it'll be opened, and we will find it. Go to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to show you two scriptures, and then we're going to close in the time we have answering a couple of questions. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 31 through 32. i got to be honest with you. I'm as guilty as anybody in a lot of these areas. I know as a dad, I've tried my hardest to be generous and giving, and sometimes I get my feelings hurt when I don't feel like my kids appreciate all I do for them. Sometimes I feel like they take it for granted and I get my feelings hurt and I get offended 
because I want them to notice how good of a dad I am. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 31 and 32. What should, then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Doesn't that sound like what we read tonight in Matthew? Your heavenly Father will give good things to those who ask him? Go back to Matthew chapter 7 tonight. The passage we started with, and some of you are thinking, well, we've never even dealt with that. Go to Matthew chapter 7, look at verses 7 and following. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or the, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So here's what we're going to close with tonight. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What are some things that we are to ask, seek, and knock about? What are some of these good things that God has promised in his word to give us? Remember what I just said earlier. We can only live like this when we truly know in our hearts that God is for us and he's generous toward us. And that whenever we ask him for what he wants for us and what we need, we will receive it. It will be opened and we will find. So what are some of the things that according to the word of God that we are to ask for and seek and knock about? Any idea? I hope you all know the first one. Salvation. There we go. The first and foremost, folks, is salvation. That's the most important thing I hope you understand. If your brain starts going to Winnebago before salvation, you got a problem. Because this is not what it's about. Although Winnebago's are nice. And if you have one, I'll go for a ride. But I don't want to put gas in it or pay for the repairs. But go to Romans chapter 10. <laughs> That's all coming. There's more than we have time left to deal with. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Look at verses 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who what? Call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that pretty clear? Folks, if you're listening to now, uh, right now online and you've never been born again, you don't have the Spirit of God confirming in your heart that you're saved. If there's someone in this room tonight that's not there, stop everything else. Ask. He'll give you salvation. Seek. You will find. Knock. The door will be open. His heart for you is love. He's already proven it through sending his son for you. 
But now for those of us who have received this salvation, there's still more He wants for us. The scripture says we don't receive because we don't ask. So what are some other things? You touched on one. Doesn't the Bible say that if you ask, God will give you wisdom? Anybody here needing some wisdom right now and some decisions you've got to make in your life? I think we all could raise our hands. Let's go to James chapter 1. Look at verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives what? There's that word again. Generously. To all without reproach. And it will be given him. Now, let's just stop for a second here before I read any further. Let me teach you how to meditate on the Word of God. You take this verse, and you read it, and you think on it. You take a small section of it, and you think on it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be what? Sit there for a minute and think. It will be given to me. It will be given to me. Wisdom will be given to me. And you need to repeat it enough in your mind. Remember, burp it up and chew on it. To the point that it moves from here to here. Listen closely. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You can quote it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and what? He will direct your path. Do you see it? Do you see that He will again? He will direct your path. It will be given to Him. See, you will find. Knock the door. will be open. Folks, let me just tell you, you have to believe that he'll do it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He knows that if he asks, but he doesn't really believe. I've shared this with you before. I'll share it with you again. I was teaching on this passage at a men's conference. At the break, the man comes up to me afterwards and he says, I tried what you said and it didn't work. I said, what's that? He goes, you said that if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it. And I said, well, it's because you didn't believe that he would. He goes, no, I really did believe that God would give me wisdom. I asked God for wisdom. I prayed. I asked him and he didn't give it. It doesn't work. I said, that's because you didn't believe that he would. He says, Jim, you don't know my heart. You can't make that judgment. I know in my heart. I believe that God would do it. I asked him for wisdom. He didn't do it. It doesn't work. I said, that's because you didn't believe that he would. He said, I'm about to punch you in your mouth. Why do you keep saying that? I said, because if you really believed that God would show you, you wouldn't have put a timetable on it. You would have believed that he would show you and you would be at peace until he did. See, you believe that God would show you within the time period that you had given him. Your time period ran out. He didn't answer in your time period and you gave up faith. You stop believing that he would answer. Does it say he'll answer right now? But he will. You need to wait. Exactly. We ask in our time frame and he answers in his. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, you can't expect as a non-believer then to ask for something to receive something from God. Because, like I said, you pointed out things in Hebrew yeah. right here that faith. Again, again we're, we're talking now to believers. Remember, we made the transition. For believers, what I'm talking about now Unbelievers, first thing you got to go to him for is salvation. 
Everything else goes from there. The it's just like if you told your kid, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean the room, and your kid never cleans the room, but then says, hey, let's go to Disney World, what are you going to say? Let's deal with the first thing I said, all right? Then we'll worry about the next. In the same way, the first thing that God has said is we need to be saved. That's over and over and over. If you're not willing to deal with that, don't worry about all this other stuff. And if you have the faith to be saved, you'll have the faith to receive his gifts. Yes, if you believe his, if you believe his word. And I also think that when, specifically, if we ask God for wisdom, it seems to me that what we would do after we prayed would be go to his word. Oh, yes, because that's how he's going to speak. I told you, ask. Seek, knock, it's going to be the, here. Um, by the way, is, go ahead. I was going to say on James 1, verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, and let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting. Are you trying to say, Sheila, that the context answered all this? You're right. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Anybody here would like some peace? Well, if you don't raise your hand, <laughs> I want to come live in your house. <laughs> Go to Philippians chapter 4. Not that anything's a problem at my house. Don't get worried about that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sure is. Mm-hmm. He's... He's going to stretch our faith. He's going to stretch us to teach us how to believe more. You're right. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Look at verses 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Seek him, ask him, knock, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He might not give you the answer you want right away, but he will give you peace that passes the understanding. Oh, but did you catch that? We're to do it with thanksgiving. Why are we to do it with thanksgiving? Because he's going to do it. Who said that? Jill, was that you? You get the gold star. You, Jill just kept you guys from having to stay till tomorrow morning. That's the answer. When you pray, ask, make your request known, believe you'll do it, and thank him. Have you ever noticed whenever I pray beforehand, I always thank God for what he's going to do? Because I don't come in hoping I do a good job anymore. He said that he would work through me as I trust in him, and I believe it. And so I come into the pulpit or the preaching opportunity believing that God's going to do an awesome work. And folks, when I walk out of here at the end, I feel invigorated because I know half of the stuff that you're hearing I didn't have in my notes. Let's go to one more. This one is going to wrap them all up for us. Go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests 
that we've asked of him. We've already talked about the fact that we're to ask about salvation and seek about salvation and knock about salvation. We're to ask, seek, and knock for wisdom. We're to ask, seek, and knock for peace. And we're also to ask, seek, and knock for everything that is his will for us. Folks, how much has God wanted to bless you with since salvation, but he was waiting for you to ask? But he was waiting for you to ask. Pray and say, Father, you're good. You've proven it. You love me. You've proven it. You loved me when I was your enemy. You loved me when I was a sinner. How much more now that I'm reconciled to you through the death of your son? And Lord, you say that everything that you have for us, everything that you will for us, if we ask you, we have it. With that comes an understanding. If his answer is wait, that's best. If his answer is, even though you don't understand, the answer is no, that is best. And you can walk out of your time believing that God will we'll, we'll do what he said he would do. He'll give you everything that you need that's his will. I don't want to miss out on stuff that God has for me because he's generous and he's a big God and he's a powerful God. And I want to learn how to trust in that on a daily basis. Oh, by the way, um, in this journey, he's going to put me in situations where my faith will be tested, where my trust will be stretched. As I shared with you before, Dick Sochacki years ago in Michigan told me, God never, ever let me down. He's never failed me. He was an older gentleman. He's with Jesus now, an older pastor for years. And he said, Jim, God has never let me down. He's never failed me. Oh, he scared me a few times, <laughs> but he's never let me down. Folks, ask, seek, knock. He loves you. He's for you. And when that truth sink in, sinks in, you won't judge others. Now, I'm going to give you a quick commercial for next week. We're going to be dealing with some passages that are going to sound really, really hard. And you needed to know tonight's message to really understand next week's message as we deal with enter by the narrow gate. And hard is the way that leads to eternal life. And watch out for that wide gate that's easy. We're going to deal with watching for false teachers. We're going to deal with some hard stuff. And I'm going to tell you now, you're going to hear stuff that you don't hear preached or taught in American churches today very much. But before you come back next week, spend some time letting the truth of this message sink into your heart. It will help you interpret correctly where we're going next. I love you. We'll see you next week.